Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nebraska football gets its first win in its last, uh, I don't know, eight tries, I believe, going back to 2021. So what better time than to bring back an old friend, a man that has moved on to bigger and better things, a man that is about to cover an NFL season that will begin next weekend. So we had to get him pretty much this week or we weren't going to be able to talk to him again until January. And that would be Parker Gabriel, formerly of the Lincoln Journal Star, currently covering the Denver Broncos for USA Today. Parker, welcome back to college football. Feels good to be talking about Nebraska at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, you're a pretty good friend when you get the uh, the 6 a.m. duty, and I'm not really giving you a lot of choice in the whole matter. And you get to talk about the North Dakota fighting Hawks. Hey. Just bring me in. Just bring me in. You know when you need the big guns, right? After the North Dakota game, I. I mean, look. If you don't need the big guns after a seven to seven start against North Dakota, that you know, I know it's tied, but somehow felt even closer than a tie could at that time. If that makes any sense, I, I want to start with this because you, you obviously you covered the team up through. Oh, I mean, you you saw the entire spring. You left in May. Yeah, is that, yeah, is that about right? Basically, yeah. uh, it hasn't been that long, but there's been two games, and I know you watched both of them. But what's what's the out of the bubble view of Nebraska look for you at the moment? Because you're not around it day to day. You're not covering it day to day. You're not talking to the key people <clears throat> like you were, you know. And so the, it allows, I would imagine, and a future part of me wishes for fresh eyes, you know, yeah. to be able to put yeah. on the situation. What does it look like outside of the media bubble of covering this team now that you've been able to do it for the last two weeks? Yeah, it's sort of interesting because I know everybody on the team, not personally necessarily, but like I I right. ha- am pretty familiar with the depth chart, I guess you would say. And I obviously know a, a lot of the players and most of the coaches and I follow everybody still that covers the team. So I don't know if it's fully an outsider view yet. It probably will be more um, in a year or something like that. But it's interesting because I thought the Ireland game just went exactly like I thought it would. I didn't know if they were going to win or lose, but you just knew with Northwestern that it was going to be close, that it wasn't going to be a blowout the way it was um, last year. Uh, and inevitably, I just kept – telling people when when people here or or just from around or from home or from Nebraska or whatever whenever anybody asked what I thought was going to happen in that game is like well 
for the most part, these games come down to who's better coached with Nebraska and Northwestern. They're always close. And so it just it didn't shock me that that one uh, went the way it did. The manner that it, it went, obviously, is <laughs> always has been the sort of um, interesting thing with Nebraska, especially over the past five years as, as I've been around it. Um, I think that I've, I've been surprised. I think like a lot of people have been, they've struggled um, to the extent that they have on defense. Um, I think that it's, it was really easy to undersell or underappreciate what um, Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams meant to the defense. Other guys too, obviously, um, Cam Taylor-Britt's a, a really good player. Um, but those two guys, I think in particular, you can just see it. They got so that you just never saw them bust communication wise. They were so solid. They did a lot of stuff that even though they were both like big hitters and flashy players a little bit in their own right, they did so much stuff that wasn't flashy that I think it was easy to maybe overlook a little bit how difficult they were going to be to replace. Um, and, you know, I think up front, I think offensively, it's just a big work in progress sort of across the board. Um it hasn't looked great all the time up front, um, but it also they're just searching for a lot of stuff. Um, and and so I think they have potential there um, and, and it's possible that they're going to be pretty good offensively by the end of the year. But I, I think, as we've been saying since November, basically, that a lot of things have to go right for that to be the case. Sorry if that was a long ramble. No, not uh, nothing to be nothing to be sorry about. It actually hit on one of the questions I had prepared. I, I didn't prepare a ton of them, but I did have a couple. And to be honest, part of it to me is you watched last year's team, and some of the pieces have changed. Some are very similar. Schematically, a lot looks different. But I, I am kind of curious, and I guess this is sort of, you know, your classic leading question, so I'll take I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. Are you surprised at all by the tackling issues Nebraska has had since, you know, there's, there's a fair amount, and especially when you're talking the middle of that defense with the, the linebackers, it, it's not like there's a lot of new guys. I mean, I, I know Nick Hendricks didn't play this Saturday, but he did against Northwestern. It just... To me, the the lack of just being able to wrap up and bring guys down. I mean, I know they weren't perfect last year, but it felt like they were fundamentally a lot more solid than where they are at this point right now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that some of that, you know, again, like some of that has to do with the, the guys who are doing the tackling last year. I mean, again, I think you're getting an appreciation for just how good of a year Jojo Doman had last year and what his ability was to sort of clean some stuff up. Certainly, I think, um, you know, Nick Henrich and, and in week one and Luke Reimer and that whole inside uh, group would tell you probably that they need to tackle better and 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 Gipper and Klarovic too in that group. And then the safeties again. And I, to me, like, the thing is, everybody in that defense um, is relatively familiar with, well, most of the guys are. I mean, obviously, Ernest Hausman's playing now and he's a new guy. And, and up front, they have a lot of um, moving pieces. I think they got to a point where they were really steady last year. All the defensive linemen, everybody knew what they were doing all the time. And so that helps. If you're if you're Luke Reimer, it helps to know 
where an offensive lineman is going to be climbing from and who it is that's responsible for making sure that doesn't happen and all of that. And, and I've seen enough of, of Eric Chenander teams to, to think that that's probably going to get better um, as Nash Hutmacher's played more football and as, as when, um, uh, and the kid from Texas tech, as they sort of like get into fully integrated and all of that, like competition's only going to get tougher, obviously. Um, but, you know, we'll sort of see how that goes. I, t- I think it's just, there's a little bit more changeover maybe than, than I considered on that side of the ball too. And, and certainly you've just got some young players who are figuring it out for the first time. I mean, you can tell, that Marcus Buford is going to be a good player. And you can also tell he's a young guy who's playing a lot for the first time. So all that kind of like fits together. And it's interesting shape because this feels to me like a team that has some upward mobility and that can get better as the year goes on. Um, But the nature of the situation, just obviously with, with frost, you know, jobs on the line and, and, and there's a lot of new coaches and all that. And it just seems like there's sort of a question about the extent to which everybody's going to feel like they actually have time um, to get better and to to develop and to be a team that's a lot better in November than it was uh, in, a, in late August. So it's fascinating to see if there's enough wiggle room to not press to allow yourself to get better to then not feel like, oh, you know, crap, we better, we have to win no matter what it looks like. Um, and, and that's the name of the game, obviously, but I just think it's sort of an interesting spot there at this point. Yeah. So we're just going to jump around here because I didn't plan to get into this this early, but it, it, your answer sort of led to one of the things I want to talk to you about because I think a challenge that I am having, and I think maybe other media people are having. And certainly maybe the fan base too, though I don't know if they think about it in the same perspective as this. When you look at this Nebraska team, and I know you don't cover it on a day-to-day basis anymore, but do you look at it as it's year five for Scott Frost? Or do you look at it as it's supposed to be year one in the current operation? Because they're dramatically different, even though they're the same thing. Like, yes, Scott Frost has been the head coach for five years, but they did undergo seismic changes in the offseason. And yet at the same time, do you extend a fair amount of grace to an operation that has sort of proven that whatever they've changed, fundamentally, they still come up short in a lot of areas? Like, it's just a it's an existential question that I don't know that you're going to be able to answer. And I sit there during every single snap of this season thinking, well, if this was year one or maybe even year two, I would be regarding what's going on a lot different. But it's year five for the head coach. But it's year one for the defensive scheme. It's year one for the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. Like, I, I, you know, what do I do, Parker? Help me out. I know. I know. That's a tough one. And that's, you know, when when Scott – um, fired those four guys um, last November. Like we put this question to Trev Alberts directly the first time we talked to him of like, does this reset the clock or is this a, it has to work right away? And he, he said it has to work right away. And so I, I think of it more as a year five. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, Trev's comments about, well, 
you know, he sort of made no bones about the fact that that this doesn't normally work. Um, and like, it's a, it's, it's, I don't know that he said it's a long shot, but that's essentially what it boils down to, right? Is like, it's a long shot to be able to rework your entire offensive philosophy and, and change Scott's role in the whole thing and expect that that just is, you're just going to roll it off the assembly line and it's going to be fine. Um, so I think it's, I think, I think of it as a year five, basically. I mean, I think of it as essentially like, um, you got to pull the rabbit out of the hat. Um, and, and I think of it largely, and I don't, I don't know, and I don't, I don't poke around as much as I used to, obviously. Smart I, mean, man. I, I don't, I just think of it. I've watched every minute that I've watched so far, which is most of them, um, and read everything that I've read under the impression, essentially, that Scott's like good and well behind the eight ball. And that's just sort of like how my brain processes it, I guess. And what's going to be super interesting is if it looks better six weeks from now than it looks right now, because the hardest call to make is going to be like, it's going like this. Is it, is it going that way fast enough? That would be like, I think that's like the, probably the most difficult um, decision to make for the powers that be. So, um, I mean, and that the power that be, I guess, Trev. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I think of it as a year five and I think of it as they got to have a whole lot of things go right. And they have to demonstrate quite a bit in a short period of time. I guess that's what it is. Like Scott more than anybody has to demonstrate a lot in a very short period of time. Um, and I don't think necessarily that so far that's happened. Um, doesn't mean it can't, though. And that's what makes the season sort of um, so fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's hold off on a couple more big picture things and we'll circle back to those. And let's just dive into some of the pieces and we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and how they've sort of looked to you and if it matches up with what you thought uh, these guys could be based on your time covering this spring. A lot of new pieces on the offensive side. And and we'll start right at that quarterback spot. Um, not in a very different way, but not a dramatically different overall box score than what Adrian Martinez would look like through two weeks, uh, doing it more off his arm than his legs. But what have you made of the Casey Thompson experience through two games so far? Yeah, obviously, he's in like the the first drives have been very impressive uh, yeah. in both games, and you can see the talent. I mean, you can see the talent. You know, you can see the the ball placement. And again, I think you have to like. I don't know exactly how we'll get better at this. The more and more the transfer thing just becomes the way of the world. But like, it's hard for me a little bit to put the performance into the, into the context of what's actually happening that like, didn't Marcus Washington, like just get to campus in July, maybe. Yeah. And uh, you know, you're like figuring it out and he had to win and in case he had to win the job, I think he, he probably was going to um, just based on the experience, if nothing else and all that, like, I think he's like pretty good. And I also think like we've taught, this has been the way it's been since I've um, paid any attention to Nebraska football whatsoever, essentially. Um, there's just not a lot of room for error and that makes life difficult as a quarterback. You know, like when you, like when he threw that pick over the middle um, against North Dakota, I was like, Oh man, like 
it didn't feel like it was going to cost him the game, but it put North Dakota in position to tie it in the second yep. half. And so you're like, well, you can't make that mistake. Well, I mean, that's a lot to ask of a college kid anytime you're saying like no mistakes. Um, and so, and they want him to be aggressive and, and push the ball down the field. And you've seen him do a lot of that. Um, I thought you felt the weight of the pressure a little bit um, against Northwestern. It just, there was a lot riding on that and it got a little squirrely in the second half and all that. And I think you've seen the good stuff and you've seen, you know, like a lot of college players, the, some of that, the, you know, accuracy issues crop up at some times, but certainly um, he looks like a more refined passer. I think right, I was just looking right now, he's 59.5% um, completion. So room to improve there, obviously, but yeah, he's played pretty well, all things considered um, not perfect, but for what they're what they're dealing with uh, and all the change and all that, like um, I think he he's been he's been um, exciting to watch. Obviously, he's got a lot of playmaking ability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you do you sense when you watch uh, the wide receivers so far? Do you feel like there's more upside than there was in 2021 or 2020, or is it a situation where Samari Toure is clearly a, a better number one, but maybe they have a little bit more depth overall. I mean, what what do you think of the wide receiver room, I guess? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, Shape. I mean, uh, yeah, Ture really, I mean, <laughs> you get in a sense of, of how talented he was just in the sheer fact that he's, you know, he made the Packers initial 53 and all that. Um, but, yeah, I think they have more depth. I, 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 You've been on the Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda train from the start. Congratulations. Um, he, he's yeah. looking... I don't know. It could be an Oliver Martin situation all over again. Lead the team in week one and then disappear until week seven. Yeah, yeah, that it could be. Um, he looks like he. Can I don't. Be. I don't think it's going. To yeah, be, neither neither do I. And you know, and they've got some like they just have a collection of they have more length um, and more speed I think than they've had in the past. When you're talking about um, Garcia Castaneda and Palmer and um, Manning and Washington. Then you've got Alante Brown, and you know, I mean, that's they've got some guys that can that can play. And then, you know, sort of like think about Vokalek um, being part of that collection too when he's healthy. And and so, yeah, I mean, I think they have, I have, I think they have more depth. Not sure, you know, we'll see. Like again, it's it's one of the things about this team is like everybody is in a new role, basically. Like you know, I think Trey Palmer. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe he'll look like an, uh, a game breaker by the end of the year. Um, maybe he won't, but we're, we're sort of like learning that as we go. I'm not sure they have a guy who's ready-made um, like Ture was last year. He, he, he obviously went from playing mostly outside to playing more in the slot at Nebraska, and that, that role suited him really well. But, um, yeah, it's going to be – Interesting to see. I keep saying that, but that sort of seems like the the, the, the nature of this season. Yeah. Um, I think they've got more talent outside. Um, it, you know, you can tell the the effect that Mickey Joseph has had on that room, and then um, the question I think over the next several weeks is like, how much is it that they're just asked to go make plays and be a good group, or is it like the whole thing is on them? And based on what we saw, um, what we've seen from Anthony Grant, which is probably where we're going, um, you know, I think there's hope that, that um, they've got a real guy at running back too. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, well, let's just go straight to that. Anthony Grant, monster game against North Dakota, had 101 yards against Northwestern. In both games, showed off the sort of home run threat that, I mean, you covered Nebraska. Congratulations, Parker. You covered Nebraska from 2017 through 2021. Uh, maybe the roughest era of running backs, um, at least in my short 34 years on yep. this planet. And Anthony Grant looks to be – he looks to be unique. I don't I don't want to put him in categories of some of, of the best that I've seen from Nebraska, but in a short time – he shows the kind of elusiveness and open field running that really only Maurice Washington has had over yep. the last, um, you know, few years. So it's a, it's a unique deal, but Anthony Grant, and it, it's not just, you know, it's not just those 46 yard runs. I mean, honestly, the ones that blew me away, both against Northwestern and against North Dakota, like he would have these like five or six yards where he'd have to make five people miss because, quite frankly, and we're going to get to him, the guys up front haven't exactly deterred anyone from coming through that offensive line. Yeah, yeah. I thought, wasn't it – it was like one of the first carries against Northwestern, wasn't it? Third and one, and he, he – Yeah, he had to fight he through three guys to, yeah. to get it. Yeah. yeah, and he got it. And, and like, that's the one – that's as much as anything. And I think you saw later, and it's not to pick on, on Yant. I mean, later on the goal line, they had a um, – you know, three or four plays where they didn't they didn't get it in in a row and that's the kind of guy like when you I think over the course of the season you know uh, number 10 is is going to get those uh, carries and um, you can see why I mean he's powerful uh, he's shifty um, he can make somebody miss I like him I mean I, I think he's looked really good so far and and I, don't, I mean I'm not sure he's an all-american or anything like that but what <laughs> the thing that's been said, over the last five years, a lot is like if they just had a guy who was like, you know, above average Big Ten back. And if you're an above average Big Ten back, you're you're really good. Um, and I think that's that's what he looks like. I mean, you know, and and yesterday, I mean, I think A.J. Allen looks really promising, mm-hmm. um, not surprising, given what he did in high school. But you still have to 
come in and do it at the college level. And, and he's really young and he's, you know, got a long way to go and all that. And they need to, you know, they need to let Ramir out of the, the cage at some point and all of that. But, um, I, you know, they've got some pieces to work with there. And, and, um, you know, Grant has, has seems like he's clearly separated himself, um, so far, which is funny because, um, since this is a recruiting, since you're a recruiting guy, we can go down this rabbit hole a little bit, but remember he just showed up, like he just showed up that visit weekend as Brian Applewhite got hired. He wasn't really a Brian Applewhite guy. He just happened to be coming to campus on one of those big visit weekends in January when, Apple, like Applewhite's first day on the job, he got there and he watched him and he was like, oh, sure, let's take yeah. him. This guy's good. Uh, and it looks like it's going to work out pretty well for Nebraska. My my favorite Anthony Grant factoid that I probably don't repeat enough, and I know that you know because we've marveled over this same thing, <laughs> the three teams in early to mid-January that he was essentially going to choose from and then immediately enroll included Nebraska where he went and then Florida Atlantic. Okay. You know, opportunity. Sure. And then USC. Right. Like I wonder three, if anybody's ever had those three hats on the table. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, three of the, it just wildly different scenarios all the way around. I mean, you have a Sunbelt team that if, if he went there and then wins that job, I think he would put up a monster, you know, amount of yards. I don't know how good FAU is, but just guessing against Sunbelt defenses and what they have and what they don't have. He's running for a lot. He goes to USC. I don't know how that works either, but Lincoln Riley has such a history of using play, like using playmakers. I'm sure he would have found a way, some way to get involved. Instead, he ends up in Nebraska, becomes a starting running back, supplants Ramir Johnson. And that, that leads me to this over the last few years. One of the issues I think that has popped up and you didn't know if it was a staff thing or if it was a Scott Frost thing, and it feels like it may be entering that territory, they really seem to struggle to identify which personnel they want to play. And then especially on the offensive side of the ball, have a habit of telling you how they're going to get so-and-so into a game, and then really don't do it. Ramir Johnson feels like the latest example of this. Previously, you had Xavier Betts and a handful of other guys. Do you – I mean – is it is it a possibility that it's just hard on game day to, to figure out how to work these people in? Or there was just no scenario where Ramir Johnson can get some run, even as a slot wide receiver? Uh, or was he maybe not as good as we thought he was last year when he kind of carried Nebraska in a lot of situations? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, the thing is until – okay, so first of all, like until last year – this is not to put this all on Ramir – until last year – the, the thing with Ramir was always that he's, you know, he's a great kid. He want he wants to do it and all that. And he'd struggled um, cons- with consistency uh, and sort of, he, he overcame that as kids often do as they develop, you know, in college in a, in a program to get to the point where he really earned the staff's trust. I don't obviously really know what the deal is this year, why he hasn't played. It seems like there should be a way to use him. And, and the thing to me is like, I always think that the uh, mark of one of the many marks of good, you know, coaches is when they figure out guys' roles and then they allow and then they maximize players in those roles. It seems to me, being completely away from it and not at all a football coach, 
um, that he's good enough and that Nebraska's talent is not so overwhelming that there should be a role for him. Um, but I also like part of this then comes back to the identity thing. Like it's easier I'm trying to think of a good example. Like it's easier for um, somebody who has a true offensive identity and uh, a, you know, like a, a, a culture put together offensively to, to, Hey, we, we like guys like this and we use them like this. Like how can Nebraska say that when they have a new, they don't even, they can't even say who's calling the plays in the second half, you know, like, and, and so because they're, they're trying to like figure all this stuff out and they're trying to like create this thing from scratch. Like that's not, this isn't a great recruiting pitch, but like, that's not, you're not exactly asking you're not exactly like uh, maximizing the opportunity that that brain trust collectively as 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 smart and as much as they know about offensive football like that's not a great recipe for being able to identify hey you know since we love doing this so much um we can use Ramir like this like they're still they're still in the like what do we love doing phase rather than the we've got this spot for this guy so you know, that's it seems like he's sort of stuck in that a little bit, maybe. Um, and and I don't know, maybe he just hasn't hasn't earned it. Uh, seems like seems like over the past few years, he's really put himself in position to to play. But yeah, it's um, I my gut would be to chalk that up to a they're still trying to figure things out offensively. And it's, um, you know, week two now. Um, and who knows where it'll go from here. I mean, I wish we had more time because there's a lot of different ways. I know. Yeah, we could do this for three hours. I know. Probably. I know. And I look, people people want it. I get told the podcasts are too short, but uh, I, I like to I like to keep the people wanting. I I want to I want to throw this at you because you you touched on things that I've thought about that I've wanted to write about that I haven't quite been able to corral and put into my brain and then you know send through my brain to my fingers and get onto a screen. But Difficult you're talking thought. about yeah <laughs> yeah. You were talking about the lack of identity, and I think this all kind of goes together. Their procuring of talent, the the way they've assembled these skill position players, it has always kind of felt to me, and some of this is just sort of the hubris of Scott Frost, that he could take whatever the system was that he built and just plug and play different guys of different skill sets and it would be fine because the system was so strong, it could handle everything. Because it, it, you know, you go look at how they recruit running backs. Anthony Grant is nothing like A.J. Allen, who A.J. Allen yesterday when I asked him if he and Anthony Grant talk on the sidelines about what they're seeing from the North Dakota defense, he kind of like looked at me and goes, well, we're, we're different running backs. Yeah, yeah. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's true. Like, you don't have the same style and all of that. But, yeah, so you have those guys. They're nothing like Jock Ant. They're nothing like Ramir Johnson. You text me during the game, like, this would look different if that was DeAndre Jackson. Yeah. You know, like, I I just think a lot of their skill position procuring of talent, and one of the reasons that they've been so underwhelming at running back and wide receiver for five years, up until, you know, right now, if Anthony Grant and hitting on a few individuals, there's no – basis for what they're doing they're just grabbing players and just thinking it's gonna fit you know wisconsin has certain types of running backs that they want minnesota has certain wide receivers that they want to fill those 
Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman rules. There's a reason Jalen Berger isn't still at Wisconsin. He's probably going to be fine at Michigan State. But yeah, he ran for 100 plus yesterday. I think. Yeah. So I mean, it's just uh, I I almost think that it's part of why they're where they are in year five is that they bet so heavily on the system and didn't bet heavily enough on evaluating the types of players that go into the system. Am I like off my rocker with that thought process? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, there's been a lot of, it's been very interesting to watch this kind of like attempt for it to come together over the course of, of Frost being at Nebraska. Right. I mean, the, at the beginning, it was truly like system reliant, you know, that was the, like the system was going to be what, what won them games. And then it became clear that they needed to be bigger and more physical, but they sort of like swung really hard in that direction. And so like, I think one of the things that you can sense a little bit this year is that like all of the new guys on offense, they think about personnel different than the coaches before did. And, and, it's not rocket science or breaking news, but like Donovan Rayola seems to like a different style of offensive lineman than the just like, let's take the biggest guys we could find and then get them as strong as we can get them um, mantra. Um, and, you know, Brian Applewhite, um, can't, they they took Anthony Grant and, and they had all these running backs and then he got there and they wanted A.J. Allen too. And Mickey Joseph, you know, they – he he brought in uh, Palmer and and they went through the spring and then they and and Garcia Castaneda and they went through the spring and then he was like I need another one so he went and took Marcus Washington and like all across the board is sort of this like you know Whipple same thing you know they were in on Casey Thompson and then and then Purdy too you know so it's like all of these it's like this they're in they're trying to. It's a, it was going to be a period of transition, and then they're also like transitioning and doing it um, without the benefit of having like recruited to whatever it is they're trying to do or want to do for a couple of years. And so it's sort of a mismatch, and that's how it was going to be this year as soon as they went this way. Um, and, you know, and Scott said, I knew he had to win this year and said, we're going to recruit difference makers and try to plug gaps out of the portal and all that. Like, this was always the way it was going to be. But you're seeing the difficulty of it, like, play out in real time. And then not only that, but, like, they've had this thing where they've tried to shift on the fly pretty much every year. They've had to because of personnel. Um, whether it's misidentifying somebody or wanting somebody for a role that then you can't really like Wondell Robinson is the example I think of. Like I was wondering yesterday when they came out and started running all this, um, you know, read option stuff in the second half, like if they were Wondell Robinson in Casey Thompson, you know, like they told him, this is your role. You're going to do this. We're going to highlight you in this way. And the bullets start flying and you've got to try to win a game, are they going to do this with them, you know, and say, hey, look, man, the way that we actually can win games this year is for you to be in the zone read and, and run the ball quite a bit, you know. And with Wandell, it was, yeah, yeah, you can be a receiver. And then they ran out of running backs and they needed a running back. And they put him back there again. And that made him mad. And they changed the role from what they, you know, they said one thing and then they did another thing. And that's, that's life in sports to some degree. Like you've got to try to win games and you want your best players to be where you need them to win games. But 
I mean, yeah, just there's, this is going to keep like moving, the target's going to keep moving, I think, not in expectations, but just like in literally what they do, especially offensively. And I don't know, I don't think it's impossible that they hit, that they find the thing that works and then they run off a little ways on offense. Um, but it better happen quickly. And that's sort of been the challenge and what makes this all sort of, in Trev Albert's words, uh, not that commonly successful. Uh, I have like 15 other things that I want to ask you, but I also have other obligations. And I promise you it'd be around 30 minutes and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, to use up all of the grace that I have with you. I've got uh, nowhere to be. So you just, you just, uh, you just tell me when you got to go. All right. Let's let's get one more thing in here because you kind of mentioned it. It's been a topic of conversation on the message board. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. We'll make this sort of the last topic. Does it matter or should it matter who's calling plays for Nebraska? On one hand, Scott Frost clearly feels like that's the best thing that he brings to the table. I mean, he's lamented it the entire offseason. He's talked about having to work in a collaboration. He hasn't had a post game yet. Or, hell, he didn't even have a halftime interview where he hasn't taken a shot at what Mark Whipple has done. And on the other hand, a big part of selling yourself getting to come back for a fifth year when you haven't won enough games and when your team hasn't been successful, and frankly, when your offense hasn't been good at portions of time, was that you're going to go get a veteran play caller to free you up to do other things with this football program. Does it matter? And certainly you paid Mark Whipple enough money to come here to be more than just a quarterback coach. Does it matter ultimately who calls the plays? Or is this just simplistic? Scott Frost's back is against the wall. He's got to do whatever he can to try to keep his job. And if that means reneging on your offensive coordinator two games into his tenure, it's not his problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I, I got I to say, like, I, I – it's been – like obviously Scott hasn't won enough and obviously he's on the hot seat. Like there's, there's no bones about that. I think largely like, and this goes for college, it goes for the NFL, all that, like largely football these days, like you have to have more than one, like one person's brain typically is not going to like win you a lot of games. Right. And like a lot of the teams that are, um, excelling in the NFL now have really got bought into and highlighted the mantra of like, it's the best idea. It doesn't matter who, who it comes from ultimately, like, you know, the best, if the best idea always wins and you, you sort of like continue on that path and you, you have a lot of voices and then, and then, you know, you just go with the best that comes up. That's the way that you're best off. So like in that regard, I've, in that one vein, I don't think it matters because those are two guys that know a lot about offensive football. And so if they can actually put their heads together and, you know, Scott has the, the, the sort of like bandwidth to channel it in the, in the more efficient way, then, okay, that's fine. It's, and you know what, if they win nine games, doesn't matter. have worked and what else matters, like, he made it and he did what he needed to do to make it. And okay. You know, you made a big call and it paid off and on we go. The, the flip side of that coin obviously is just like, 
exactly as you said. Like, and, and frankly, like if they won nine games and Whipple was like, I'm 64, uh, you know, you took play calling duties away from me after six quarters. And then we did this like muddy thing about talking about it and all that the rest of the year. I don't need this. I'm retiring. See you later. Like, well, I hope you learned a lot from him in the year he was here. And even maybe that's beneficial. Like it's football is sort of a cold world in that regard. Um, I think it's obviously the biggest issue is that it's, it's just not, it wasn't the plan um, and, and plans change. That's fine. Um, but it, if you're going to do like for, for Scott, like, like if you're going to do this, it better work. Um, and if, if it happened and then if you're going to do it and if it's going to be permanent, there's a lot of ifs um, it had better work because you sold your boss on being this more CEO type, which never frankly like made a ton Any of sense. sense to me because yeah. the thing that he's clearly best at is calling plays. Like that's always been his strength as a football coach is like offense and doing that. And so to take that away, will like to, to choose to, for that to be the thing to give up and then um, to, have what you're gonna you know be a bunch of things that's not the thing you're best at always struck me as being like well he has to do this he doesn't have a choice in the matter um even though if trev says you know i didn't make him this and that well i mean it was pretty clear what the path was um so in that regard it's sort of like if you're gonna do this like does your does your boss care about how the plan gets executed or does your boss only care about the end result that's the question um you know and that probably just depends on how many wins the end result includes so that's a long way of saying i think you could make an argument either way that it does matter or it doesn't matter the way that it doesn't matter is if you win and that's the big question is are they going to win enough for the fact that you changed on the fly and you know, you, you, it, there wasn't always a lot of, um, I don't know what the right term is, bedside manner maybe, and how the offensive uh, talk was after games or at halftime or all that early on. You're like clearly just itching to take it back um, and have been from the start, essentially, um, from the day you gave it up. And the thing, and I'm not, I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to like, I don't want this to come off as like giving Frost a hard time about all of this. Like he's an offensive guy. Like he wants to call the yep. plays, you know, like, and um, impulse. I mean, it's always been part of the equation um, with him, you know, Can't, when does that, when does the impulse um, kick in, and does it happen in the right times? There's been moments where it's happened at the right time. There's been moments like in the third quarter against Northwestern where it didn't, you know? Um, and so if this is the right time to do this and they have the personnel to to go forward and win games doing it his way, it, it like legitimately might save his career, but it also might not. Good way to put it. Good way to put it. That's why we bring in Parker Gabriel from the USA Today. He might be covering Russell Wilson, but he can also break down Casey Thompson. That's the kind of talent he has. Parker, appreciate you coming on here on a Sunday morning, joining us on Sunday Side Session. 
you know, a new venture for me, but an yeah, opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, an opportunity to kind of break down the the game and get into the big picture stuff, which believe it or not, with Nebraska, is every single week you Forever. don't get a break. Forever. But that's you know, that's why we're here. That's why we are here to talk it through, uh, to to give people a different uh, opportunity to think about things like this. And as always, people can find more content like this at Husker 24-7. We got plenty of coverage from the game yesterday. We got game balls. We got report cards. We've got Scott Frost breaking down, you know, what happened in that game yesterday. We got players talking. Ernest Hasman spoke for the first time. Nate Borkercher talked. You had Casey Thompson up front. Anthony Grant talked as well. All that stuff at Husker 24-7 on Sunday. Everybody enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Parker, Gabriel, thank you so much for being here. Highly recommend everyone, even the Chiefs fans, <laughs> help Parker out. Go read some USA Today NFL coverage. The season starts soon there. Parker, wish you the best of luck as you move forward covering the Broncos this year. And uh, we'll stay in touch because I like oh, yeah. to pick your brain. You make yeah, me smarter. Yeah. You make everybody else smarter. And uh, with that, happy Labor Day, everyone. And be sure to tune in to Husker 24-7 going forward.